Welcome to Working with the Word, a weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and confidence for deeper daily Bible study. This is Jeff O'Rear reminding you that we're on break right now, so we're re-releasing some of our previous episodes, particularly thinking about the how of Bible study. In fact, we're going back to episode two today, looking at evaluating our how and considering how something like the inductive study method will be helpful for us in our study of God's Word, particularly in our upcoming series of the book of Zephaniah. So stay tuned and enjoy this previous episode. Over the next four weeks, we'll break down the inductive study method, a method of Bible study that we believe will be a helpful strategy for executing the how of how we study our Bible. So before we jump into today's episode, we want to remind our listeners about the importance of finding your why. If you didn't catch our first episode last week, we encourage you to listen to it first before proceeding in this episode. And if you did catch it, take a moment now to just stop and reflect. And what did you discover about yourself and your motivation for studying the Bible? Were there things that surprised you as you got out your red pen and you evaluated your why? Are there things that you realize needed adjustment? If so, then you are taking an important step to becoming a better Bible student and a better disciple of Jesus. So once you've taken some time to consider your why, let's get into the how of Bible study. When we're talking about the inductive study method, we're talking about three different things, observation, interpretation, and application. But even before all those Asian words that will make the inductive study method possible, there is another Asian word that must precede all of them, preparation. This includes things like making sure that our attitude and environment are set to study the Bible, things like making sure that we are prepared to to get into God's Word. We want to try to remove other distractions, like probably won't be helpful to study the Bible if we've also got our phone open to Facebook right by at the same time, right? So let's go ahead and make sure we've got things set up. But most importantly, make sure we begin with prayer. In the David Maxson material we've been talking about, there's this quote. It says, if your attitude is right, you will carefully study and apply God's truth. But listen to this. If your attitude is not right, then the truth of God will never penetrate your heart. But what an important reminder for us then to have that good attitude as we study God's Word. I would recommend maybe a, there's a short book that's less than 100 pages by Matt Smithers called Before You Open Your Bible. It might have some helpful thoughts for you that you could look into. You might see some information in there and might find it useful as you consider the preparation part of studying God's Word. But what is the inductive study? Let's talk about that a little bit more. The idea of inductive study is simply studying or discovering for yourself. So there are those three parts we mentioned a second ago, observation, interpretation, and application. With observation, we're just simply, when it comes to studying the Bible, asking the question, what does the text say? As far as interpretation goes, we're asking, what does the text mean? And then with application, now listen to the distinction between the last question and this one. With application, it means, what does the text mean for me? Or how does the text apply to my life. So think about those three things, observation, interpretation, and application with the inductive study method. One of the things I like about these three questions, what does the text say? What does the text mean? How does it apply? It seems like Jesus used them in his own teaching in a lot of different places, but one example is in Luke 10 when Jesus is talking to this Jewish expert. And this lawyer stood up 
and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And the lawyer goes on to answer with the greatest commandment, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus says, You have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. And then he goes on to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan to show what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. And then he tells the lawyer, go and do the same. So in that like lead-up conversation to the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus really asks two questions and then follows up with a command. Those two questions, what is written in the law? You know, I see that as kind of the observation question. What does the text say? What do you see in there? How does it read in there? The second question, he says, how does it read to you? In other words, what does the text mean? You know, how does it apply to your question? How do you interpret that? And then he says, do this and you will live uh, or go and do the same. So the question there is, how do I live this text out in my life? That's the application question. So I think Jesus really reasoned using these three same questions. It's interesting, you know, Jesus was not like a highly educated rabbi. He didn't go to rabbi school. He probably didn't learn this in a how to study the Bible class at synagogue. It's just the way we communicate with each other and learn. It's just just common sense. So it seems to make a lot of sense to me. That's right. And I think as we see Jesus do some of that is, and there in Luke chapter 10, we want to just give a very brief example of that with some text here that we've been thinking about over our first couple of episodes from 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, I recommend that you go ahead and open that up and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to go through these steps just very quickly with 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 through verse 19. So the first step of observation, we're just going to read the text. Ideally, you would read the whole letter of 2 Timothy a couple of times, right? And you would try to mm -hmm. maybe read it from a couple of different translations, or you would read it with some different perspectives or thoughts in mind. But we're going to just get into reading the text here as we observe what's said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 through 19. Paul says, Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So as we observe the text there, we see what does the text say? And there's a lot more than just reading it once in like, 30 seconds. There's a lot that'll go mm -hmm. in observation we'll get into next week. But let's think then, what does the text mean, this interpretation question? Here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 with these verses, Timothy was going to be dealing with people who were not accurately handling the word of truth, and he needed to be on the lookout for such people and make sure that he would stand contrary to them as one who used and lived God's word correctly. So as we think about what that means for Timothy, or what does the text mean, let's move then to the application how does this text apply to my life? What does this text mean now to me and to you, our listeners, and to everyone who should be looking at this text? One point of application would be, I don't want to be one of the people described here as swerving from the truth. 
but rather I need to be one who is appropriately working with the word. I think it's really helpful to to see that working out in you know specific passages because as we talk about these three questions observation interpretation application it may seem like you know well what does that mean and how does that look in our lives but as we look at specific passages and we'll further down the road in this podcast we will look at various books of the bible and try to apply that to our study but here I think it's important that we realize and understand the advantages of inductive Bible study, asking these three questions. And there are three major advantages of this. Number one, it gets us into the text of the Bible. It gets us into the text. And that's really what it's all about, right? I mean, I'll speak very honestly for myself. I get a lot more excited about studying the Bible, getting into the text myself, than hearing someone preach a sermon or sitting in a Bible class And that might sound surprising because I am a Bible class teacher. I am a preacher. I want people to be excited about classes and sermons. But, you know, when I'm I'm studying the Bible for myself, not just hearing someone talk about it, I get a lot more excited. And so I've seen other people respond the same way. I taught a a high school Bible class uh, not too long ago. And what I did was I just printed out the text for them and asked them to underline things and mark up the text and notice observations things that were applicable. And as we came together in that class and we studied it together, there was a noticeable difference in their interactiveness and their preparation Mm -hmm. because they were getting excited. They were learning on their own. And so I think a lot of people are hungry for getting into the text of the Bible. When we're actually doing Bible study, it gets us excited. And that really leads us to learning that inspires and challenges us on a deeper level. It's just the joy of self-discovery. Just It gets us into the text. Number two, it keeps us in the context of the Bible. You know, it's very easy to take a passage out of the context of the Bible, just, you know, basically snip it out of the context and paste it on our wall, and we completely ignore what it means in the context. Right. But there's a lot of dangers in doing that. And so asking these questions in turn, first observing then interpreting, and then applying. It requires us to see the context as we begin with that first step of observing, you know, just asking what is there in the text. A lot of times we want to jump into application first, but that's the third step and the final step. We need to begin with observing first. You know, just going back to our 2 Timothy 2 passage, you know, if, if we're observing the purpose of this letter to Timothy reminds us of the situation and the circumstances that led Paul to write 2 Timothy. Paul was in prison, and he was lonely, and he was concerned for his younger brother Timothy in Ephesus. He wanted to see the gospel continuing to being preached, and so he encouraged him to fight the good fight, to preach the word. And so, you know, beginning with observation, it keeps us in the context of that, and it challenges us to see the passage as a whole before we see each passage as a part of that whole. So the third advantage is that it challenges us to slow down and think carefully about our conclusions and applications from the text. You know, when we study our Bibles, a lot of times we want to rush it, and we're always drawing conclusions, but we just need to slow down and asking those questions deliberately what does the text say? What does it mean? How does it apply? Really forces us to think that through. You know, are we drawing the right conclusions that the audience was intended to draw? Uh, are we emphasizing the right things that the author was emphasizing? 
we might see the individual parts, but how do we see the sum of those parts and how do they fit together? And are we really taking the time to think about appropriate applications? Do we intentionally think about, well, how does this change the way that I live? So ultimately, um, you know, we, we want to be accountable. We want to be disciplined. We want to keep each step in its proper order. One of the things that I find helpful about this is that careful observation leads to proper interpretation, which then leads to real-life application. We'll talk more about that in later episodes. Yeah. But really, what we need to be driving for is not just better Bible students, but becoming better disciples of Jesus. That's really the end goal. As we become better Bible students, we will come to know God more and we'll come to follow Jesus more. Yeah, and I think that there are probably some of our listeners who are already somewhat familiar with the inductive study method and familiar with observation, interpretation, application. I mean, this is not new to us, and it wasn't like this came out yesterday. There have been people who have been doing stuff like this for years, not just with Bible study, but throughout you know, study of different you know, disciplines or sciences or whatever. So for some of you, you may have already been using the inductive Bible study method and and it's been really helpful for you, and that's great. We would even love to hear from you and tell us about how it's been helpful for you and what you've been learning from it so we could you know, grow ourselves. That will be helpful for Emerson and I and maybe even share some of that with some of our other listeners. But it's also possible for many of us that as we begin getting into this section of the how of Bible study, as we've found our why and we're moving out in that circle we talked about last time, we're thinking, okay, well, how am I going to do this, and how am I going to study my Bible? It may be that there might be some versions of Bible study we need to leave behind, some things that are maybe just, if we're honest, unhelpful or misguided or just poor Bible study. This is, we talked about how last episode, not each motive is the same. There are mm-hmm. better motives than others. There are ways of studying in the Bible that are better than others. As we mentioned, inductive Bible study isn't the only method, and there are other good methods, but here are some that we're referring to as some of these poor, unhelpful, or misguided to help us as we might be thinking about executing our how and realizing, what have I been doing, and if I'm guilty of this, what do I need to remove in order to improve my Bible study? So we, we've come up with some of these things, or we've thought about some of these things based on our own personal experiences, or maybe things we've seen in other people. We think maybe about the IndyCar method, uh, I'm from Indiana. Emerson's been in Indiana for a couple of years, so he knows all about IndyCar races and what happens in May with the Indy 500. Well, not in May this year. <laughs> yeah, not May this year, but but with the IndyCar method, that's this idea of look how fast I can go, right? I, I wake up and, okay, my Bible reading today is Psalm, 115, or Psalm 119, and that usually takes most people 15 minutes. I'm going to get it done in 10, and like we just go <laughs> as quick as we can. That's Zoom, really, zoom, right? Yeah, a very poor goal to just get it done as fast as possible there with that. That's what we see going on with that IndyCar idea. And then there's the luck of the draw where we just grab our Bibles and we open it at random. We just let it fall open, and whatever passage our, you know, our eye lands on, that's the passage we're going to focus on. And then we read it, and then we walk away. It's almost like we just expect luck to determine the passage that we need to read for that day. And that's not super helpful because it lifts things out of context, and it doesn't give you really any kind of consistency when you're trying to study the Bible. You know, what is what does this passage mean in the greater context of the story yeah. of the Bible and in the, the book that it is found in? That doesn't sound like that careful observation you talked about a second ago. So along 
those lines, there's also this idea of cracking the code, that we're looking for this hidden meaning within this text of the Bible. Maybe it's this, if you start in Genesis, every 666th word is going to give you Nixon's inaugural address, right? <laughs> Some people have tried to do stuff like that. I'm not saying that that's actually there or that's that's possible, but people have done stuff like that before with the Bible, right, Emerson, mm-hmm. where yeah. they've taken it and just mean crazy things out of it. Sometimes we treat the book of Revelation like that, almost like it's a code we have to break. Or or you find people trying to determine what the Bible says about when the end of time is going to be. You know, all of these prophecies and adding up all of these dates, when in fact Jesus himself says he didn't even know while he was on earth. Exactly. And so, you know, the Bible isn't a code that has to be broken. And so don't treat it like that. Yeah, rather than looking for the hidden meaning... A lot of times what you're not doing there is looking for the clear meaning of the text, which is what mm-hmm. God is trying to give to us. Think about Revelation. I don't think John wrote Revelation for people to crack the code of 2,000 years later. I think there's probably more of an immediate message for his first century audience, at least. So rather than looking for that clear meaning of what's said, we're trying to find that something new or startling or maybe even just seriously crazy to, you know, to impress other people with. But if we're trying to crack the code with Bible study, then we're just not doing a good job with our Bible study. And then there's the channel surfer, where you come home at the end of the day, you are exhausted, you sit on the couch, you grab your remote and a bowl of ice cream, and you turn on the TV, and you <laughs> just flip the channels, right? Yeah. Uh, nope, not liking what's on channel 6. Let's go to channel 27. Nope, nope. Nope, nope. And oh, here's something that I like. I want to watch the Dick Van Dyke show. And that's <laughs> something that uh, my wife and I like to watch. We're kind of old timers in that. Uh, we tried our Bible study like that. We, um, you know, we find a passage that we like and we stick with it. You know, and the next day we look at other passages. Nope, that, I just, I don't understand that one or that one doesn't make as much sense. I'm not familiar with it. Oh, here's Acts 2 again. I know Acts 2. It's the start of the church. Acts 2.38 be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That is an essential passage, but it's treating the Bible almost like it's your TV. You browse and you settle on what feels good in the moment, and that's not treating it with a lot of respect. Right. So similar to what we're talking about with the channel surfer, we kind of just look around until we find what we like. There's also the toddler diet version of Bible study, where it's I know I don't like this, and rather than even trying to surf around, I'm just going to go right to what I like. I think we've all either were that kid or know that kid or have seen that kid who— Or have that kid. Yeah, that's right, or have that kid that is, (laughs) you know, two to three years old, and you bring out dinner, and you've done your best to try to help them, but there it is, that green vegetable on their plate. And they look at that broccoli, and they say, nope, I don't like that. I only want chicken nuggets. You know, it'd be this idea of I open up to the minor prophets. It's there. I know I'm supposed to read the minor prophets, but you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and say, nope, don't want that. I'm going right back to Matthew chapter six because I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter six. And again, right? That's Matthew six is is so important and it, it, it mm-hmm. needs to be studied and it is so critical in what Jesus talks about within all of that chapter. But I don't think we can just throw out the minor prophets if they're not our favor or not our cup of tea, right? And there's something that we have to use that as well. Yeah, it's the idea of having a balanced diet. If you eat only mac and cheese and chicken nuggets, you're not going to be very healthy. Uh, you got to have the asparagus and the broccoli too, um, which is not to minimize those passages. They are absolutely essential for our growth. That's right. But our final 
poor, unhelpful, or misguided Bible study method, we're calling the magician. This is maybe similar to the luck of the draw, where you would open up your Bible to a random passage, but then rather than just reading it and then walking away, you're trying to work this magic, I guess, make it into a magic trick, where it's like, okay, I've opened up to the book of Judges, and I'm reading about Gideon, and he does this whole thing with this fleece, and so abracadabra, boom, this passage applies to me now, right? This whole stuff of I've got some decision to make, and so I'm going to take two socks, and I'm going to lay them on the ground, and if the <laughs> socks are wet, then I know God wants me to do this. You know, I, Maybe it's a new career, or maybe it's a uh, something to do with vacation, or you take a text and you, you force it into applying to you by kind of doing this magic and not doing the careful observation, not doing good interpretation and just skipping right to the application step. And again, we talk about these things, these these six examples here, because we know them. We've we've either been guilty of some of them or all of them, or we know people who have struggled with them. I mean, I think about my own Bible study. I I am an indie car type of person. And even in this episode, as we were talking about you know the importance of the inductive study method helps us to slow down that's hard for me. I, I love to, even listening to podcasts, I love to skip up to that one and a half time speed at least. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I listen to 20 minutes when I can, you know, make this fit into 15 minutes. And that way I don't have to use as much time listening here. And I think about what I need to do with my Bible study. And I've tried to make the improvements about that to say, you know what, when I slow down, I do see things more clearly. I have more time to think about it, which I think is what God wants me to do, not just check it off. And I, I am an IndyCar person as well. Like I have, I've been following a year-long Bible reading plan. And if I'm not careful, I can fall into, I've got to get this done in a year. And, you know, even if it means me not really taking in what I'm reading, just speed reading, or I get up in the morning early before the kids get up, before things get crazy at the house and noisy, and I need to get it done before the kids get up and before all of that happens. And so I just speed through it. Or one one way that we didn't mention, but that I find myself doing is this leapfrog, where I'm following a loosely connected string of cross-references. I've got a passage here that talks about love or prayer, and that takes me to another passage in the Old Testament about prayer, and that takes me to Revelation about prayer or something like that. And uh, mm-hmm. that's you know helpful to see what prayer is about, but it's ignoring the context in which those references about prayer exist. And so we don't mention these to mock or make fun of, but just to challenge you because we have fallen into these as well. That's right. We think about the illustration we used last time about our red pen and talking about when we were trying to find our why, the need for honesty and taking that red pen and helping us see what can help us define our why or what's going to give us that best why. And we've got to do that here with maybe some of these poor, unhelpful methods. I mean, as we're talking about IndyCar, as we're talking about maybe even sometimes things like luck of the draw, I'm circling those things in my mind because I'm like, Jeff, you know, you, you've done this before. We need to think, are we balanced in our Bible study or are we just picking what we like? Are these things uh, helping us to s- study the Word of God by handling the word accurately. Can I say that I'm accurately handling the word of God if I'm only you know, looking at the same thing over and over again, or if I'm willfully choosing to ignore certain parts that just don't fit my taste, or I think that somebody else can take care of that? I don't think we can do that, honestly. Are these 
things helping us to use all of Scripture and understand that it's all inspired and all profitable, like it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Or by these, some of these methods, are we ignoring that and saying that, yeah, we, we love what the psalmist says in Psalm 23, but some of these other psalms that talk about woe and destruction and anger and hatred towards enemies, uh, that's just, I don't really want to take the time to figure that out. I know my preacher knows about that, so I'll let him take care of it. Let's get out our red pens here, and let's think about some of these things, some of these poor, unhelpful, misguided methods. And again, these are not to mock. These are just to remind ourselves about these might be some ways we're studying the Bible. How could these things be replaced with something like the inductive study method to help us grow in our Bible study? Yeah, how can we be more intentional and deliberate in handling the Word of God the way God wants us to handle it? Again, our foundation passage, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. A lot of what we've talked about up to this point are things that are going to require a lot of hard work. And maybe if you're listening to all of this and you're thinking, wow, Bible study just seems like so much work, so much effort. Why does it have to be so hard? No, you're not Um, alone in those questions, right? We're right there with you. Right, and it it can be very daunting, especially as we're talking about dealing with passages that we're less familiar with. We mentioned the Minor Prophets or some of the other prophets or Revelation. Those are very daunting books, but God intends for us to do our best in studying those. Like he says, um, be diligent. So we want to just clarify that it's the Bible is not too hard or complicated for you. Even the most beginning Bible student, and even kids, can do inductive Bible study. They can ask the questions of, what does it say? You know, how does it read? And what does it mean? Uh, What did Jesus mean by this? And how do I live this? Even kids can do that. So the Bible is not just for the experts. It's for you as a Christian or someone who's trying to learn the Bible. So Bible study, yeah, it is hard work, but we want to encourage you to not cheat yourself out of the joy of discovering God's Word by not doing the work. Mm -hmm. You will really miss out so much if you don't do the work. Think about it this way. If all God wanted for us was to be pre-programmed with all of the understanding and the knowledge and the wisdom He wanted us to have— You think he could have created us that way? Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, he could have built us as robots, but he didn't. He didn't say, okay, just plug in here, absorb it by osmosis, download the file to your brain and your heart. He didn't do it that way. Instead, what he did is he gave us this Bible, this book, which is a collection of 66 different ancient works that are all summarized in the message of the gospel of Christ. And so he wants us to know him and his mind through this book. Value doesn't come cheap. We want it to, but value never comes cheap. Think about it in healthy relationships. If you want a good marriage, it's going to take work. If you want a good job, there's going to be some education involved. The same is true of Bible study. Valuable Bible study is going to be difficult sometimes. Mm -hmm. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells a couple of parables which really are encouraging for If you're thinking about, well, why should I do the hard work of Bible study? In verse 44, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. 
So in these two parables, both the farmer and the merchant, they discovered something of great value. In the context, they found Jesus' kingdom. But they found this while they were working. The farmer was plowing or digging in the field, and he happened upon the treasure. The merchant was traveling. He was going to flea markets. He wanted to find this pearl. They found the value by working. And they both immediately recognized the value of what they found, and they made great sacrifices to acquire it. And think about how that applies to our Bible study. Are we diligent workers in the Word? Are we seeking after Jesus' kingdom like it's something of value? We shouldn't expect for every study to have this life-changing aha moment. So don't go into your Bible reading necessarily every single day thinking you're going to find this pearl of great value. But the value of doing the hard work of consistent, thoughtful, disciplined reading and study, it's going to have a huge effect on your life, and it's going to change your walk with the Lord, and it will lead you to those treasures of of God's Word. This takes us really back to our why, is how much do we really want to know God? And that's really what's driving us to find and seek that treasure of God's Word. So as we're ending our episode, here's our challenge for this week. Think about those lists of unhelpful or poor, misguided Bible statements we talked about earlier. And which of those how that you might be using right now is it time to let go of? Think about those passages from 2 Timothy chapter 2, 15, and 2 Timothy 3, 16, and 17. How could your Bible study improve by letting some of these go and implementing something like the inductive Bible study method instead? We thank you for tuning in to Working with the Word today. Next week, we'll talk more specifically about observation. We simply need to open our eyes and read what the text says over and over And like we mentioned earlier, maybe you've had great success using the inductive study method in your Bible study. We'd love to hear your specifics about that, and surely there will be plenty that Emerson and I can learn from your comments as well. You can find and reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at WorkingWithTheWord, on Instagram at WorkingWithTheWord.podcast, or send us an email to WorkingWithTheWordPodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, WorkingWithTheWordPodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity.